Now, as John has said, I'm, uh, we're number two in the series on uh, there's a time for, this is a time for renewal. Last week we remember that uh, unforgettable message on uh, Christmas is a time for sacrifice. Remember that? So today I want to talk about Christmas is a time for renewal, renewal of our faith and our trust in this mighty God. And we've been thinking a little bit about that uh, already today. But I want to uh, turn your attention to Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. And these are the words, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's interesting, uh, <clears throat> there are actually four names there. Well, this is my opinion. Counselor, God, Father, and Prince. The other four words are adjectives that describe this person. He's a wonderful counsellor, he's a mighty God, he's an everlasting father and he's a peaceful prince. And I'm reminded in uh, the New Testament in Matthew, and you shall call his name Jesus. We're told here he will be called. It's, tall, it's talking about Jesus, wonderful counsellor and the mighty God. I'm just going to use the one name today. Mighty God, when Isaiah talked about the coming Messiah, he said, I want to give you a picture of this mighty God and what he's able to do in your life and in my life. When Isaiah speaks of a mighty God, he speaks of a God who is powerful. And this mighty God is going to be victorious in what he does in this world and he wants to be victorious in your life and my life if we cooperate with him. It's interesting to note that our world is literally marked in its history by stages of power. We begin with manpower, then we go to horsepower, steam power, electric power, atomic power, nuclear power, <laughs> and when we get to heaven it'll be arriving power. That's about the best I can do there. But the power that has increased over the centuries has many ways benefited us as people. It's made us more comfortable, uh, it's made us more wealthy, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily helped us spiritually. There's never been a time or an age where we have more power at our disposal and yet at the same time it's left us spiritually and morally bankrupt and powerless. We can do incredible things with the power at our disposal today, but we don't seem to have the power to live a victorious, holy life, or we don't seem to have the patience to want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. We don't seem that we have, we have the patience to walk in the light as he is in the light. We've got all this other power, but we don't have that power, that spiritual power within us, to be all that God wants us to be. Acts 1.8 says, 
You shall receive power, personal power, the power of the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, folks, every believer is a candidate for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power to come upon every believer. That's what Acts 1.8 says. In other words, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that power will transform our lives and it will give us a power to be able to say no to the devil and able to say yes to God. Let me ask a couple of questions. What does the power of God mean to you today? What does the name Mighty God mean to you right now? We could go to the book of uh, Colossians in chapter 1, verse 11, just the latter part of verse uh, 10. It says, We're growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. What a mouthful that is. Heaven's above. But I just read that out to you. That means because God is almighty, Paul is saying it's possible for us, you and I, to be filled with this might and with this power. We can face this Christmas time and this holiday season as victors and not victims. Now, listen. Satan's plan is to crush the spirit of every believer. That's his plan. And to break us and to cause us to fail and to be defeated daily. That's his plan. Now, we have had our fair share of disappointment, haven't we, this year? We've had our fair share of health issues. We've had our fair share of sadness. But Jesus still says that I have come, in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and that you live that life to the full. Despite what we have experienced, despite what you and I may be going through at this point in time. Let me give you five things that uh, tell us about this mighty God and how we can be strengthened by them. All right, are you ready? Five things. Number one, he is able to save us. He's able to save us. It says in Hebrews chapter 7, Therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. Now think of it, it's not just, he's not just able to save us, but save us completely, through and through. Jesus is able to save you and I completely, through and through. I love what the King James Version says, that he's able to save to the uttermost. Jesus can take a person from the guttermost to the uttermost, in a moment. How good is that? Instantly made clean, instantly instantly made pure, but not instantly made mature, because that's a lifetime process. 
So that means that he's able to save us from all guilt. He's able to save us from the penalty of sin. He's able to free us from the power of sin. And when we get to heaven, he's able to save us from the presence of sin. There's a triple P for you. Jesus offers full and complete salvation every individual, to every individual. Our conversion, folks, is to be full and complete, not 50-50, not one foot in the Lord's side and one foot in the devil's side. It's to be complete. Jesus doesn't offer you and I a smorgasbord Christianity where we take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of sin that's not what the Christian life is all about. He's able to save you completely, through and through, from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen? Amen? Oh. It's time for us to renew our faith and trust in this mighty God, all-powerful God. No wonder the angel came to Joseph and said, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. Not in their sin, but out of their sin. Completely delivered. That's the good news. He's able to save you today no matter who you are. No matter where you've been. And no matter what you have done. The invitation today is for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be set free of your past sin, your present sins and your future sins. They're gone. When Jesus, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, your sins are gone. You don't carry them anymore. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I don't bear it anymore. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed your sins from you. Brothers and sisters, you are free. The sins are gone. Hello? Somebody ought to get excited around here. The good news of the gospel is that it's understandable and it's receivable, it's full and it's complete and it's to whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, I better hurry on. Number two, the second thing this mighty God will do for us is that he is able to support us. In Jude 24, it says to him, he was able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Now, we're not able to keep ourselves from falling. We stumble and fall often. But it's how we respond once we fall that's the key. But Jesus is able to keep us as we cooperate with him. We are kept by the power of God through faith in him. I love my old-time fiery friend who's well and truly gone to heaven by the name of Walter Betts, fiery man, who I've been able to work with a little bit. And uh, people would come up to him and say, Brother Betts, how are you keeping? <laughs> he said, I'm not. I've been kept. I'm not keeping myself. I've been kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a fiery man. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. He'll support you. He hasn't let anyone fall through his arms yet. Learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I've ever seen. Why? Because I'm strong? No. Why? Because 
I'm a positive thinking person. No. Why? Because I'm learning to lean on Jesus, putting my full weight on him. That's what's so good about God. There isn't a burden that presses in on you and me which we cannot turn over to God. The issue is that I find with many believers, but are we willing? Are we willing to do that? No wonder Peter said, cast your care, all your care on him because he cares for you. He's, Jesus is adequate, he's sufficient, whatever the circumstances. All right, now let me give you a dumb illustration. How I coped. I'm an Aussie Reels freak. And our team played in the grand final last month at the Gabba. They played in another team, which I struggle to mention their name. It's called, they're called Black and White. No, they're not. They're called, oh no, heavens, that's another story. Um, they're called Richmond. And Geelong, my team got beaten. We were <clears throat> up 15 points at half time. We were down two points at three-quarter time and then halfway through the last quarter we had no chance of winning. I was over at my son's place and I was ready to jump in the pool, fully clothed, his pool, if we had won. I didn't do it. I probably should have done it anyway. But we, we got beat and I was really upset and disappointed. Not so much for myself but because of the players who were going to retire that year. One obviously well-known one is Gary Ablett Jr. I, I was disappointed for him. And so I went home. This was Saturday night. And then on Sunday, I went into my office the next day. And I began to write down some thoughts out of my grief. And this is what I wrote. Our loss has been someone else's gain. How do you cope with such a letdown? Remember, it's part of life to have these feelings. We all have good times and bad times. Life is a series of ups and downs. You win some and you lose some. We serve a mighty God who never loses. He's never lost a battle. And we can quite confidently put our faith and trust in him. Not that everything works out the way we want it to, but he keeps us steady in the crisis. He keeps us steady in the midst of our hurt. He who feeds the sparrow will not starve the saint. Folks, I had people who didn't want to call me or phone me for at least two weeks after because they thought I'd be struggling and, and hurt and upset and disappointed. But I dealt with that the next day. Don't ask my wife how she's coping with it. But that's how I coped. That's how I coped. And I thank God for his support. Well, well, it was therapeutic. It was prophetic in a sense because I didn't know at that stage what I was going to speak about. And I talked about this mighty God. Right, number three. He's able to secure us. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, I'm not ashamed as a result of suffering because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to keep or guard that which I've committed to him or entrusted him against that day. What day is that? The day when Jesus comes back. 
Paul trusted God to use him regardless of his circumstances. And I would say today that if your situation looks bleak, give your concerns to Christ. Give your life and future into God's hands. Because God has promised to guard who you are and all you have until that day, until he returns. It's safer than going into the bank. Give your concerns and your problems and your life and your possessions to the Lord. That's what Paul did. That's the secret that we have of coping in, this, in our 220. Jesus cannot keep and guard that which you have not given to him. It will never be secure. But what I give to him is secure. Amen. God keeps that. Paul said, I have entrusted my life and my work and everything I have. I have allowed Jesus to be in charge of all things. He is my possessor. He's my repossessor. He's my dispossessor, Paul would say. Now, if you allowed your mind to reflect on Christians who you know around the world, and you will discover that this is the number one problem that many Christians have. They are not willing to surrender their life totally to the Lord Jesus. They're not willing to make Jesus number one in their life. If you give to God your life and your family and your business and your finances, these things will be secure in God's hands. It's amazing how we still want to have control and keep our hands on our possessions. I love that dumb old illustration of this plane trip. <clears throat> and the captain came across the loudspeaker and said, we've had to cut down engine number four. But the good news is we've still got three other engines. That's the good news. Besides, there are four pastors on board. And one dear old lady yelled out, I'd rather have four engines and three pastors. <laughs> Isn't that true? We still want to have control, huh? All right, number four is he's able to strengthen us. In Ephesians 3.16 Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, we don't have time to go into the story of Paul and his thorn in the flesh. That's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. But let me give you just a brief overview of four levels that Paul went through of understanding and of coping with this supposedly thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. It could have been an eye issue we had, but we're not really sure. We're not really told what that thorn in the flesh was. And we find the first thing he had was an escape level. An escape level. Where it says in verse 8, the three times he prayed for the problem to be removed, that thorn in the flesh. And it's natural for us. When everything thing happens to us, we want to get rid of that. We want to say, God, take this problem, take this issue, this health issue. Lord, help me to get rid of that. It's a natural thing for us to do, to have that escape level. And then Paul went through the endurance level. All of, his, all of a sudden he said, oh, uh, I realise that God's grace is sufficient for me on a daily basis. And then thirdly, he went from there to the enjoyment level where he says, I most gladly boast about my weaknesses. He says, I have learned to look at the problems in my life and have learned to see the value of them, even though they're painful. And even though there is a lot of uh, 
Thanks. But I have learnt even to enjoy and endure that process. So once he realised that his condition isn't going to change externally, he began to change internally and he went then to the empowerment level. Lastly, that the power of Christ may rest on me. So he said, I've learnt that even in the setbacks of life that God has the power to strengthen me and to help me overcome. Now I must confess that Paul, I don't know anyone like Paul that I know of or ever met. You can sum up Paul's life by he was either up or getting up. That, that was Paul, basically. He, he learnt when he failed, he learnt to fail forward. So it was easy for him to get up. And it's what you do when you fail, that, that's the key. So Paul, it's interesting to watch how Christians react to pressure. Some treat a leak in the gutter as a major cyclone or a pain in the side as the end of the world, while others who know they only have a few months to live or a few years to live can have faith to cope day by day. How many times have we gone to the bedside to encourage someone and we've come away encouraged? How many times has that happened? It's not that God is closer to one and not the other. We know that God is able, but that's not the issue. It's not a matter of God's ableness. It's a matter of our ability to appropriate the might that God has for his people. Why is it that some people get this and others don't? Well, very simply, as I mentioned earlier in the message, the only thing that is secure is what we give to God. The reason why some people can smile and walk through incredible pressure is because they have learnt to submit and commit that which concerns them over to God. Now I can do that, sort of, with the church, although I've had a few issues this recently of frustration <laughs> and whatever. But I tell you what, when it comes to a family issue, I don't cope too well. I don't cope too well at all, dealing with problems in the family. Try to work out where this quote came from, but it's good. The appropriation of God's power is in direct proportion to what we have submitted and given to him. Give him that issue. Give him that circumstance. Give him that disappointment. Remember the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 50? One of the most emotional stories you'll ever read in the scriptures. Every time I read it, I'm tears all over the place. But Joseph's life can be summed in again in the triple P, in the pit, in the prison, <laughs> and in the palace. That sums up those 13 chapters in Genesis. And uh, <clears throat> it's incredible because God was with Joseph and people could sense the power and the anointing of Joseph in Joseph's life. Even non-believers could saw, see that there was something different in his life and it impacted those around him. Why? Because he surrendered to God and he wasn't into a pity poor me party. Let me tell you, folks, you can be in the pit right now dealing with really tough stuff. But because of your faith and commitment to God, people will think you're in the palace. As I said before, when we go to visit someone, 
and we come away encouraged, we think we should be the one in bed because of the blessing those people have been to us. They're in the palace, even though people will think they're in the pit. Because of your attitude change and through the renewal of a fresh understanding of this mighty God that we serve, so he's able to save us, support, secure and strengthen the last one, stretch us. In Ephesians 3, 20, 21, now to him is able to uh, do immeasurably more or abundantly more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. We can't out-ask God. We can't out-think God. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But he's able to do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundantly more than we could even ask or think. I hesitate to use the Greek here because I know that using the Greek has never saved anybody. But it may be helpful in this case here because I know that the Greek word uh, for abundant is perison, which really means to be full. And if you put the word ek in it, that means uh, to overflow. And if you put the word hooper, H-U-P-E-R, in front of that, you have a superabundance, like a river is full. You have a flood, incredibly more, exceedingly abundantly more. Do you know what Paul says, he's saying here about our God? that he is able to flood you spiritually. He's able to empower you and me spiritually more than we can even ask or think if you're willing to cooperate with him. Amen? I only go back to that last verse. I know I haven't got much time unless they stop the clock. That in chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 19, it says, Paul's prayer for us is that we be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to be filled with God is wonderful, but to be filled with the fullness of God may be something greater and better. But to be filled with all the fullness of God really blows our mind and we can't understand it. It's exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It's like having the whole life filled with meekness and gentleness and goodness and love, and justice, and holiness, and mercy, and truth. That wasn't a direct hit, that hurt. Like the fruit of the Spirit, he's able to do that in our life, exceedingly abundantly above all that we even ask or think. And when God fills us to that extent, I can tell you one thing, folks, that sin will never have dominion over you while you have that attitude and that spirit and you walk in obedience, amen? That's what I believe strongly and I think uh, we as God's people need to uh, think that through and do something about it. I'll have the worship team come up if they would. No wonder Isaiah would call him our mighty God because this mighty God is both big and small. He's so big that the heavens cannot contain him and he's so small that he can live in my life and my heart. So in the light of who this mighty God is, why don't we try him? Why don't we let him in our hearts? Why don't we trust him? A genuine born-again believer is one who wants Jesus to be number one. If you don't want that, I doubt very much whether you have a true conversion. Now, I'm not the judge. 
Maybe if I was the judge, I probably wouldn't even get in, but I'm glad God is good at doing his own business. See, I know what some of you people are going through. Maybe it's a, a marriage that's shaky. Maybe it's a job that's uncertain. Maybe it's a medical issue or a trauma that's known only to you. Let this mighty God super abundantly touch your life today. Christmas is a time of renewal. Christmas is a time of fresh commitment to him. And I think of no better way to do that than round the Lord's table. Where we remember God's provision of mercy and grace. For those of you who are watching online, we're going to take communion in a moment. But it's a time when we remember again that God is the possessor of absolute power and wisdom. And he governs our lives in perfect wisdom, justice and love. It's not up to us to criticise God. It's not up to us to give him advice. God owes us nothing. We owe him everything. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life and my all. Amen. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. I was moved to tears when I heard this song sung by an old guy who's well and truly passed on to be with the Lord. His name is Mural Ewing, E-W-I-N-G. You can download it. And he wrote a song many years back called He Saw Me. And when I read through this part of it, I thought, how appropriate Christmas time uh, this song is where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to this as before we take of the emblems. He saw me in his likeness. He saw me just like him. Pure, clean, holy, spotless, white within. But he saw me bound in heavy chains and he longed to set me free. But he knew if I became like him, he must become like me. He must become like me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain, but he washed it <laughs> white as snow. So in the light of this wonderful truth, folks, as we take the bread and the cup and remember in remembrance of his great love and care for us, we take these emblems as an act of faith and trust. And in so doing, we say, God, I'm prepared to renew my faith and trust in you afresh today. I do this in obedience to you. Those of you who have your communion package there, just peel off that top part and we come to that wafer where Jesus says, this is my body which was broken for you. He said, I want you to take and eat this in remembrance of what I've done for you. Let's do that together, shall we?
And then Jesus took the cup and he said to his disciples, this represents my shed blood. I want you to take and drink all of this in remembrance of my great love for you. And we do so today in faith, believing. Thank you.